This week, we're actually going to dive into chapter 1, verse 1, and that's the book of Leviticus. So, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, third book in the Bible, third book in what they call the Pentateuch, or the five books of Moses. And uh, let's pray. I told Pastor Steve I'm ready for three chapters to teach tonight, but I'll be content if we stop at one. We'll just see how the Lord leads it tonight and how I manage my time. So let's pray. Father God, we praise you for your word, and it's a privilege to do what we're doing right now. And I pray, God, there just would be a, a reverence in our heart for the word of God that's before us. And Lord, it's, it's um, a humbling thing to stand in this position to teach. So I just pray in Jesus' name that your spirit would let the word come alive to us. And we don't just want to gain knowledge for knowledge's sake, Lord. We're here because we want to know Jesus better. We want to walk with Jesus closer. We want to glorify Jesus while we're here on this, in this earth, Lord. And so teach us, comfort us, exhort us, convict us. Whatever you want to do tonight, we give you the room to do that. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. So I want to start with a short, uh, just kind of reintroduction, just to kind of jar us back into position uh, before we jump into Leviticus. Interpretation? Just kidding. I wasn't speaking in tongues. I just got my tongue tied. Um, yeah, Leviticus. So I, I, I told you guys a couple weeks ago that Leviticus is probably famous for being the killer of the through the Bible reading program. It's like, you know, you're reading through the Bible and you're go, you get to the end of Exodus and you hit Leviticus. You're like, chuck the whole thing. Forget it. I'm not doing this. But uh, we're going we're gonna to go for it. And I just a few things I want to remind you. Um, the first thing is that remember that Leviticus um, is like the sequel to Exodus. In other words, where Exodus leaves off... Uh, Leviticus picks up. They're not actually moving away from Mount Sinai. They're still at Mount Sinai. Um, Numbers is where we see them moving on. But something very significant is happening now. You have to remember that um, at the end of Exodus, we saw the, the construction and the dedication and the filling with God's glory of the tabernacle. You guys remember that. That would be right in the middle of their camp. God's presence right there, visible camped around him. And so when you come to the book of Leviticus, whereas Exodus's gen- or excuse me, Genesis's main theme was the fall, Exodus's main theme is redemption, Leviticus's main theme would be that of worship. You see the name Leviticus, which it's tagged with, it it, it basically means pertaining to Levi. Now just remember Levi was one of the 12 tribes, and Levi was a special tribe. He, that whole tribe was set apart to be the keepers of the tabernacle, later the temple. They were, like the minist- they were like the ministry tribe. They were like the pastors, if you would. You know, the priests all came from Levites, and I'm not going to make the genes joke. I guess I just did, but it's in the genes. You had to be a priest. Um, anyway, so all that to say is that this is pertaining to Levi because they would be the ones kind of carrying out all the regulations and rules and teaching them to the people. And so again, the main themes that we want to remember about Leviticus is this. We're going to be taught over and over and over again that the God we serve and the God Israel serves is a holy God. Amen? He's holy. And because he's holy, 
They need to know, how do I approach this holy God? And how do I live my life in a way that's pleasing to this holy God? And therein you actually have kind of the, the outline, very simply, of the book of Leviticus. If you wanted a, a real simple outline, chapters 1 through 16 deal with sacrifice. That is, how do I approach God? And then the last part of the book, 17 through 27, deals with separation. How do I live in, in a way that's pleasing uh, to this holy God. And so that's kind of the, the main things that we want to keep in mind as we go in. I do want to remind you that, you know, it is important that we, we, we hit these things. You might say, well, if it's pertaining to Levi and it's Old Testament stuff, what's the point of doing this for us and living under grace in the New Testament, blah, blah, blah. It's true that we're not bound by the law, but like I said a couple of weeks ago, if we don't understand Leviticus, we will never be able to fully grasp the the, the implications of the New Testament. Leviticus lays this foundation for New Testament theology, especially the book of Hebrews. If you read Hebrews and you don't have some kind of understanding of Leviticus, you'll still be blessed by reading Hebrews, but you'll in no way be able to fully grasp all that Jesus did in his life and his death and his resurrection and ascension. Does that make sense? So we're laying a really firm foundation. We're going to see Christ all throughout this. So, um, the first chunk we want to kind of tackle is uh, chapters 1 through 7. Of course, not going to do that all tonight. But in chapters 1 through 7, we're going to be dealing with five sacrifices or offerings that the children of Israel could bring. And we're going to look at those in depth or kind of in depth. And here's what I want you to note about those. The first three, ch chapter 1, 2, and 3, deal with the first three. And the first three are unique for a couple of things, and I'll, I'll repeat this as we go. But number one, they're voluntary. These were voluntary, non-obligatory, not mandatory offerings they could bring if they wanted to bring. And they have to deal with worship. They have to do with consecration. We'll deal with that. The last two sacrifices have more to do with uh, cleansing and covering of sin and guilt and we'll talk about those. But let's jump on in, and let's look at chapter 1. I'm going to do quite a bit of reading, and then we'll go back and look at it. So Leviticus chapter 1. You guys with me? All right, so far so good. You look, you're still awake. I don't know if it's me or the cookies, but you're, you're good. Okay, chapter 1, verse 1. It says, The Lord called uh, Moses and spoke to him from the tent of meeting, saying, Speak to the people of Israel and say to them, when any one of you brings an offering to the Lord, you shall bring your offering of the livestock from the herd of, and from the flock. Verse 3. If his offering is a burnt offering from the herd, he shall offer a male without blemish. He shall bring it to the entrance of the tent of meeting that he, it may be accepted before the Lord. And he shall lay his hand on the head of the burnt offering, and it shall be accepted to him, listen, to make atonement for him. That's important. Then he shall kill the bull before the Lord, and Aaron and his sons and the priests shall bring the blood and throw the blood against the sides of the altar that is at the entrance of the tent of meeting. Then he shall flay the burnt offering and cut it into pieces. And the sons of Aaron, the priest, shall put fire on the altar and arrange the wood on the fire. And Aaron's sons, the priests, shall arrange the pieces, the head and the fat on the wood that is on the fire on the altar. But its entrails and its legs he shall wash with water, and the priest shall burn all of it. That's the key there. Like, kind of make a little note of that. All of it 
on the altar, listen, as a burnt offering, a food offering with a pleasing aroma to the Lord. Let's keep going. If the gift of the burnt offering is from the flock, from the sheep or goats, he shall bring a male without blemish, and he shall kill it on the north side of the altar before the Lord. Aaron's sons, the priest, shall throw its blood against the sides of the altar, cut it in pieces with its head and its fat, and the priest shall arrange them on the wood that is on the fire of the altar. But the entrails, the legs, he shall wash them with water. The priest shall offer all of it, there it is again, and burn it on the altar. It is a burnt offering, a food offering, a pleasing aroma to the Lord. If his offering of the Lord is a burnt offering of birds, he shall bring it before uh, an offering of turtle doves or pigeons. And the priest shall bring it uh, to the altar and wring off its head and burn it on the altar. Its blood shall be drained out on the side of the altar. He shall remove its crop with its uh, contents and cast it beside the altar on the east side. And in the place for ashes, he shall tear open um, by its wings, but shall not sever it completely. And the priest shall burn it on the altar on the wood that is on the fire. Listen, it is a burnt offering a food offering with a pleasing aroma to the Lord. We already got through chapter one. Well done. Now let's talk about it. Well, if you didn't pick up on it, the first offering that we're talking about is called a burnt offering. It's a very unique offering. Here's some of the elements um, of the burnt offering that we read throughout. Um, number one, did you? and it doesn't say this specifically in the version I read. It does say it in the King James Version in verse 3. But later on in Deuteronomy chapter 12, in other places, it, it'll clarify this. This offering was, like I said earlier, voluntary. Didn't have to bring it. You could bring it if you wanted to, but you didn't have to. It was voluntary. Secondly, it was proportionate. Did you guys notice that? There was a lot of repetition. That's why I kept reading. Because really the offering was described in that first paragraph. But then it added a little wrinkle, and then it added another little wrinkle. And the wrinkle that was added was simply this. If you're going to bring a, an offering from the herd, like a bull, that's what you do. If you're going to bring it from the, the flock, like a sheep or a goat, this is how you do it. If you're, you're going to bring a bird, and that would be for somebody that, that maybe was poor. They couldn't afford to bring a, a bull. They couldn't afford to bring, um, you know, a sheep or a goat or something like that. They could bring something very inexpensive in the day. Uh, you know, they could actually buy one at the temple and bring it, or the tabernacle later on the temple, and just bring that turtle dove. And I like that, by the way, that, that it's proportionate. God's not necessarily looking at the size, right? He's looking at the heart, saying, man, I don't have a lot to give, but I'm giving you all that I have, and God accepted that. So it was voluntary, proportionate, and it had to be acceptable. And what I mean by that is there are some very specific things. If it was uh, from the herd, it had to be what? A male with what other? It had to be a male with no blemish, right? No spot, no blemish. Same with, um, of course, the, the goats and uh, the sheep. And then the procedure, I don't know, you know, it's kind of the same procedure with a couple little wrinkles here and there, but the procedure was basically this. And I'm just, since we read it, let me just kind of summarize again without going back over every verse. But basically, it would, it would happen like this. The worshiper would come with his or her sacrifice, whether it was a, a bull or a goat or whatever we described. And they would bring it, and I don't know if you noticed that, but we talked about this a couple weeks ago. The first thing they would do is present it before the Lord. And then they would lay their hand on it in front of the priest. Now, in the laying their hand upon that sacrifice, um, 
this is a visual of something wonderfully symbolic. Because what they were doing was transferring their guilt and their shame and their sin onto that animal. I mean, I don't know about you guys. When I read this, I'm like, this is a very bloody book, right? Like we're ripping birds' heads off. Birds' heads are falling off. I mean, we're like, we're cutting animals in half. We're filleting stuff. There's blood everywhere, splattering. It's because, listen, when they would come and lay their hand on that animal, it's almost in my mind's eye I can see a man bringing a sheep, this little lamb, without spot, no blemishes, no defects, accepted by the priests, maybe even gets down on one knee, I don't know, and just kind of like lays his hand on the forehead of this animal, maybe even bows his head and says a prayer like, God, I'm the one that cheated on this or said these things or was angry or, you know, whatever the sin might be, gossiped or whatever, but I'm, I'm thankful that you made a provision and I'm, I'm putting that on this animal. And then they would take the knife and they would slit the throat of the animal and blood would pour out. And, they, and it was very clear what was happening. That animal was the stand-in for the person. It was a substitution. And so they would do that, and then they would take the blood, and they would splatter it, throw it upon the side of the altar. Now, in this particular uh, offering, I want you to notice, too, they would flay the sacrifice, and they would take it, and they would kind of order it upon the altar. They would wash certain parts of it. And then um, I emphasized this a couple of times. They would take, this is, this is what sets this offering apart. They would take all of the parts, all filleted and cleaned and all that stuff, and they'd lay it on the wood on the altar, and they would burn how much of it? All of it. Now, the reason I'm pointing that out is because you'll see that as we go on with these other four offerings and sacrifices, that this is unique to this particular offering. And all the other ones, part of it goes on the altar, then part of it goes to the priest, or part of it goes to the person who brought it. But in this case, the entire animal is given over onto the altar and burned up. Now, the point of that, and by the way, it says that when that happens, what is it to the Lord? Sweet-smelling aroma, as if, I mean, it probably does smell good. I don't know if probably no barbecue sauce or anything on it, but just the, that barbecue happening right there, I'm sure it smelled great. Um, and, and it's as if the Lord goes, oh, that smells good. Now, let me ask you a question. Do you really think that it was the actual physical smell of burning meat that God was like, that smells awesome. And that's the whole reason why I wanted you to do that sacrifice. I just like that smell. Is that why he did that? No. The reason it smelled good, that's just a figure of speech, really, to describe what's happening. Because what was being symbolized by the burnt offering was this offering of total consecration to God. Because... The worshiper was in essence saying, just like this animal was completely given up to you on the altar, God, and I put my hands on him and I transferred my sin or whatever to him, and, and we burned the whole thing. In the same way, God, I just want to give my life fully consecrated. I don't want to hold back any part of my life. I don't want to compartmentalize and give you some. I want to give you all of me. Amen. This is why it was such a beautiful smell to God. Like, he goes, yes, that's so wonderful. Because it was voluntary. They didn't have to do that. It was a, this beautiful offering of consecration. There still had to be blood because there was sin. But it was this wonderful, wonderful consecration uh, sacrifice. Now, let's talk about the picture that this paints for us. And I'm sure you guys are already doing the math. But as you know, or if you don't know, 
First and foremost, what this sacrifice of the burnt offering pictures is Jesus. It pictures, it's a foreshadow of what Jesus would do. Listen, he would come voluntarily. In John chapter 10, Jesus said, no man takes my life from me. I, I, I am laying it down on my own accord. My father told me I'm not only going to be able to lay it down, but take it up again. Amen? They didn't really arrest Jesus and capture him. Do you guys understand that? Yes or no? When they came to arrest him and he said, who are you looking for? And they said, Jesus of Nazareth. And he said, I am. And he said, the, the tetragrammaton, I am. The declaration of God's name. Poof, they all fall on their rear ends and get up again. And he's like, who are you looking for? Jesus of Nazareth, sir? I mean, I don't know how they changed their tone or whatever. But then the point is, is that Jesus willingly, voluntarily went with them. Jesus, if you would, was from among the herd. He was among the people. I was thinking about this. You know, to the untrained eye, I look at a flock of, or is it a flock of sheep? Does that sound right? A flock of sheep. I mean, I don't know if that's a qualifier for a sacrifice. I mean, he's maybe got a blemish or two. I don't know. It looks like every other sheep. You know, they had to ask which one was Jesus when they came to arrest him at the Garden of Gethsemane. Why? Because he looked like just very common, just like everybody else. He just became a man, and yet he was God. He came from among the sheep, but he was without blemish, without sin. That's what made Jesus, by the way, an acceptable sacrifice to God. That's why John the Baptist was able to say, behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. Jesus is the only man who ever lived who is 100% flawless. He was, listen, this is why the, the doctrine of the incarnation is so important. He's 100% human, born from a virgin woman, but he's 100% God. His father is God. That way he was born without any blemishes, and then in his 33 years of life, he never made a mistake or sinned, and he was perfect that way as well. And so he stands in as our substitute, but it's all a picture of him. And listen, he gave himself fully on the cross. Please say amen to that. He gave himself fully on the cross. Let me read to you from Hebrews chapter 10, verses 5 through 7. Hebrews 10, 5 through 7. Consequently, when Jesus Christ came into the world, he said, Sacrifices and offerings you have not desired, but a body you have prepared for me. In burnt offerings and in sin offerings you have no pleasure. Then I said, Behold, I have come to do your will, O God, as it is written in the scroll of your book. And if you go down to verse 14, it says, For by a single offering, that is Jesus, he has perfected for all time those who are being sanctified. I love that. He gave himself fully on the cross. Ephesians chapter 5, verses 1 through 2. Listen, Ephesians 5, if you're taking notes, verses 1 through 2. Therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children and walk in love. Listen, as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us, listen, as a fragrant offering. There it is, and a sacrifice of God, an allusion to that burnt offering. Guys, Christ gave himself fully. One of the things that I think is interesting, by the way, we need to understand that Christ's full sacrifice on the cross was not primarily because of his dedication to us. It was primarily because of his dedication to his Father. Do you understand what I'm saying by that? Of course it was for us, but at the core of it, it was more about Jesus fulfilling the will of his Father 
more than doing it just for us. Does that make sense? I'm not taking away from the fact that he did it for us, but what did he say in the garden? Not my will, but what? Your will be done. And he was fully given over to God, and he became sin, that we might become the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. Just thinking on these things is so phenomenal. Now, um, and I'm spending a little bit more time on this first one because to me it's just such a mind blower. So Jesus is the ultimate fulfillment of the burnt offering. He gave himself fully on the cross, holding nothing back. Now what does that do for us? You guys have already, if you're a quick, you know, Bible reference thinker person, you're already there. But let me read to you from Romans uh, chapter 12, verses 1 and 2. And maybe just turn there. I don't do this too often, but this is a Bible study. So we're going to study the Bible. Turn to Romans chapter 12, New Testament, towards the end. This is why I love when people have paper Bibles because you have to, like, go and find it. You can't just type it in. You're actually holier than the person looking on their phone. I'm just kidding. That is not true at all. <laughs> Feels true. It's not true. I'm just kidding. Now listen to chapter 12, verse 1. It says this. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and acceptable to God. And now I'm reading from the ESV where it says, which is your spiritual worship. Another translation says, which is your reasonable act of spiritual worship. Now, what is Paul saying here? Paul is making an allusion to the burnt offering. Paul is saying, therefore, now the therefore is summing up 11 chapters of doctrine, basically just line by line teaching us justification by faith alone in Christ alone, that it's all about just putting our faith in what Jesus has done for us and that we will receive forgiveness and right standing with God purely based on faith, all rooted in the, the redemptive act of sacrifice that Christ did for us on the cross. Amen? And that's what Paul says, by the mercies of God. What does he say? I appeal to you. So his appeal to the people to give their lives as a living sacrifice is rooted in what Christ has done for them. Does that make sense? But what does he say? To give your life a living sacrifice, which is your reasonable. In other words, it's the right thing to do in light of the facts. In light of what Christ has done for us, the proper and reasonable response to that is to lay your life down on the altar, so to speak, as a living sacrifice. How many of you guys are thankful that God's not into dead sacrifices anymore? Amen? Like I said before, I'm so glad at a normal church service there's not like an altar up here where we like still slaughter animals. Christ fulfilled that once and for all perfectly. He has no desire for us to bring any kind of bloody offering or anything like that, nor any kind of service to God in some way trying to earn right standing with him. Do you guys understand that? It's not through our works. It's not through anything. You know what the right response to Christ's sacrifice for us is a life that just says, in light of what you've done for me, I voluntarily crawl up onto the altar, all of me, and say, my whole life is yours. Amen? I was thinking a lot about this, you know. That's our motive. This right here is our motive. Our motive for what? For total consecration to God. It always has to be this. Bear with me. If it's anything less than this, it just won't last. If I get up here and say, 
you got to live for God. Give yourself totally to God. But in your own heart, you have not really experienced the grace of God. You have not seen Jesus on the cross dying for your sins personally and personally experienced the grace and forgiveness of God. Then my little pep talk's not going to talk you into a, a life of consecration to God. Does that make sense? But the man or the woman or the boy or the girl, they just gets it who understands I have sinned against God and I don't deserve anything from him. And how could God love me that much that he would die for the things I did wrong and take upon himself my wickedness and the punishment I deserved all because he loves me just so he could be with me. And when you personally see Jesus on the cross for you, no pastor, preacher, or parent has to convince you to give your life in full dedication to God. You will go running to the altar and jump up on it and say, I am all yours. Amen? And I really want to encourage you guys, especially, I was thinking about this for parents. Fight the temptation to guilt trip your kids into serving God. Or just do behavior modification to just make yourself feel better about how they're doing. Instead, pray for a heart transplant. Pray that they have an encounter with Jesus. Because you, they can act right all through their high school days in their house and go to church and do all the right things. But unless they have an encounter with Jesus and see him on the cross dying for their sins personally, it's, it's not going to really cause them to live a life of total consecration. Amen. That's why our ministry is to always point people to Jesus. Look at Jesus. Look at Jesus. See what Jesus has done. See what Jesus has done. Because when we get it, we just say, how can I not give my life in full dedication to the Lord? Amen? Now, by the way, uh, before I get off this, in Romans 12, where Paul says, you know, to present your body as a living sacrifice, the language that he uses in the Greek there is actually really definitive in the sense of like as a once and for all sacrifice like just once just make that decision draw the line in the sand have that come to Jesus moment where you're like yes Lord I'm all yours and that's important amen but you know what I love about the Old Testament you know what they did every morning and every evening a burnt offering and I don't know about you but every single day I have to come afresh and just be like God you know I've sinned again I've messed up here. So once again, I just plead the blood of Jesus, but I just want to put myself back up on that altar and just say, Lord, again today, I want my life to be a living sacrifice. Or at the end of the day where you're like, I was doing good till about 6 o'clock, Lord. And then, you know, what happened and with a fight and, or whatever happened, and you just say, but Lord, I just repent. I want to give myself to you again. Maybe you came in here tonight. And there was a time where you were like on fire and a living sacrifice to God. But man, you just kind of veered off and the, the flame's not there and you've taken back areas of your life. Can I just encourage you? Do it again. See Jesus on the cross again. And just tonight, do the reasonable, right response. And just say, Lord, I'm all yours once more. Amen? Amen. Well, let's, let's keep trucking, and I, I, I promise that I spent more time on chapter 1 than I'm going to on the others. Probably won't do chapter 3, but let's go through chapter 2 quickly. When anyone brings a grain offering, some of your translation, does anybody have a, say, meal offering? What does it say? It does not say Rice Krispies. Oh, sir. Okay, so it, it, the idea there's a grain or a meal offering. As an offering to the Lord, his offering shall be a fine flour. 
He shall pour oil on it and put frankincense on it and bring it to Aaron's sons, the priests. He shall take from it a handful of fine flour oil with all of its frankincense, and the priest shall burn this as a memorial portion on the altar, a food offering, here we go, with a pleasing aroma to the Lord. But the rest of the grain offering shall be for, listen, for Aaron and his sons is the most holy part of the Lord's food offering. So we're going to talk about this, but this is like um, bringing flour mixed with these other ingredients, and they would bring that to the Lord. But notice part of it goes up and is offered to God, but part of it is now a provision uh, for Aaron and his sons. When you bring a grain offering, there's, now he's going to talk about different ways you can prepare it. Uh, uh, it can be baked in the oven as an offering. It shall be uh, unleavened loaves of fine flour mixed with oil, unleavened wafers smeared with oil. And if your offering is a grain offering baked on a griddle, um, it shall uh, be of fine flour unleavened with, uh, mixed with oil. And you shall bring it in pieces and pour oil. It sounds like a waffle to me. Anyway, sorry. Uh, shall bring in pieces and pour oil on it. It is a grain offering. And if your offering is a grain offering cooked in a pan, so there's another way you can griddle it, pan it, bake it. Um, lost my spot. Verse 7. It shall be made of fine flour with oil. You shall bring the grain offering that is made of these things to the Lord, and when it is presented to the priest, he shall bring it to the altar, and the priest shall take from the grain offering its memorial portion, that is the portion that goes to God, Burn it on the altar, a food offering with a pleasing aroma to the Lord. But the rest of the grain offering um, shall be for Aaron and his sons. It is the most holy part of the Lord's food offering. Now, let's continue on for a moment. Verse 11. No grain offering that, um, that you bring to the Lord shall be made with leaven. For you shall burn no leaven or honey as a food offering to the Lord. Now, let's pause there. So, this is a grain offering. Once again, it's voluntary. Um, you didn't have to bring this. Uh, again, it's this act of worship. You're bringing um, this, this food offering, if you would, to God. And we talked about the various ways you could cook it. Listen to the ingredients real quick. Here's the, the ingredients. Fine flour. There's actually a point to this, so don't, don't lose me. Fine flour, oil, frankincense, and then later we're going to see actually salt is another um, ingredient that goes into that. And so you would bring this in various forms, baked, you know, in the pan, fried or whatever, and you'd bring it to God. They would take part of it, offer it up to the Lord as a meal offering, and then part of it would go to the priest um, as a provision. Now, um, before we talk about the, kind of the symbolism of that, I want to show you something. Look at verse 12. As an offering of first fruits, now check this out, you shall bring them to the Lord, but they shall not be offered on the altar for a pleasing aroma. Now that's interesting. You shall season all your grain offerings with salt. You shall not let the salt of the covenant with uh, you shall not let the salt of the covenant with your God be missing from your grain offering. With all your offerings, you shall offer salt. If you offer grain offering of first fruit to the Lord, you shall offer the grain offering of your first fruits, fresh ears roasted with fire, crushed new grain, and you shall put oil on it and lay the frankincense on it. It is a grain offering, so it's another type. And the priest shall burn it with the, as a memorial portion. Some of the crushed grain and some of the oil with all of its frankincense is a food offering to the Lord. Okay, so you guys get the picture. The point I wanted to look at here in verses 12 to the end, there's a little asterisk here. He says, look, it's a, it's a grain offering. Here's the ingredients. You offer it to the Lord. It's accepted. Oh, it's a sweet aroma from, you know, in the, in the nostrils of God. But then he puts a little asterisk and he says, but... 
if you're bringing this grain offering or this meal offering as a first fruit offering, notice what he says. It's not a sweet-smelling offering. In other words, it's not voluntary. It's mandatory. It, that's your first fruit offering. Does that make sense? Because as we get into the law, we'll see that the first fruits, first fruits being the first of your harvest, whatever you brought in, according to the Levitical system, that was actually God's. That wasn't even yours to keep. That belonged to God. The tithe, if you would, was God's. And if you wanted to bring something beyond that, man, that would be a free will offering. Now, I'm not going to do a full exhaustive teaching on this. I just want to mention it because it's a wonderful pattern. We live in the New Testament. I do not believe for one second that we are under the law, any part of the law, and I don't believe that tithing is something that we are bound to by law. I believe that it is a good principle that was before the law. And this is, I am so glad that from the very first paycheck I ever got, my mom taught me to tithe. To just say, you know what, give the first fruits to the Lord. Cut that check to God. But then if you want to give above and beyond that, that's an offering. That's awesome. And again, I don't think we're, all, we're not under the law in this. Um, the, the New Testament basically is just like give as you see fit from your heart. You know, if you reap, sow sparingly, you'll reap sparingly. But I, I love this pattern. I live by this pattern. I still do this pattern. The first fruits of my, of my paycheck, of my tips, of my whatever. Guess what? It goes to the Lord. It's just I just consider that, God, you know what? I am just going to honor you and say, as a, I was a way of saying thank you, as a way of acknowledging that it's all from you. But then guess what? My wife and I, we also write checks and donate above and beyond that. That we, to missionaries and special offerings or people that we support, you know, like I said, on the mission field or whatever. And what we do with that is we say, no, that's not my tithe. My tithe is the Lord's. I take that to the house of God. I get a paycheck from the church, but guess what? The first part of my paycheck from the church, I go, it goes right back to the church. I tithe on that. Does that make sense? You don't have to do it that way, but I'm telling you, if you haven't given this part of your life over to Christ yet, your finances, I triple dog dare you to trust God with your money. Here's what you're going to find out. If I had about 10% more money coming in per month, I'd really be able to make it. And what God is saying, why don't you give me that first 10%? Again, it's not, I'm not saying we're under the law to do that. I'm just saying it's a wonderful principle and a good starting point to our giving. And so just, a, just an interesting note in that. Now, let's kind of get back on track a little bit. That was some of my opinion, and you can take it as such. Um, but here's what I want to note before we go our way tonight. Once more, listen, the grain offering, once again, is all about Jesus. It speaks of Jesus. The ingredients, fine flour. It speaks of his humanity, but notice it's fine, sifted, perfect. There's no junk in it. It's, there's no like little chunks of this or that or contamination. It's perfectly white, if you would, perfectly clean. And it speaks, you know, a lot of commentators say it speaks of the perfection of Christ. Listen, in his humanity. When he was on this earth, as we talked about earlier, the, the lamb, another picture, same idea, without spot, without blemish, the fine flower speaks of Jesus' humanity. Human, you know, flowers are a very common thing. Jesus was a, a common, if you would, man, but he was perfect. He was fine. Oil, throughout the Bible, oil speaks of who? Notice I didn't say what, because the Holy Spirit's not a what, he's a who. 
Oil is a type and a picture of the Holy Spirit of God, the third person of the Trinity. And there's Jesus, baptized by John the Baptist, comes up out of the water. And what happens? The Holy Spirit, in the form of a dove, lights upon him. And it's at that point he's baptized with the Holy Spirit and goes into his ministry. Now, Jesus, of course, always had the Holy Spirit within him. He's God. But yet, he was, there was a moment in his life, when he was 30 years old, that the Holy Spirit came upon him for the work of the ministry, and it was at that point where he launched out into ministry. But the oil speaks of the Spirit of God on Jesus, who is that fine flower. And then frankincense. That's the first thing you think about in frankincense, when you say frankincense. For me, I think about the three, I always say the three wise men. There, we don't know if there was three. There could have been 30, for all we know. But the, the wise men that came when Jesus was about two years old, found them in the house, and they, they traveled all the 900 miles or whatever it was from the east. And these kings, like these wise men, these magi come, and they're laying their gifts out before um, this two-year-old baby king. And one of them was gold, and one of them was what? Frankincense. This wonderful, fragrant, beautiful incense and it just reminds us of Christ. But by the way, frankincense was a key ingredient in the incense that was burned in the temple and in the tabernacle. And it speaks of the priestly ministry of Christ. We don't have time to develop that, but it speaks, of course, of Christ. And then lastly, salt. Salt has a, a lot of wonderful pictures. Colossians 4 says, whatever you say, um, say it with what? Grace, with salt, it says. Salt speaks of grace. Christ came he is grace personified. It all speaks of Jesus. Notice the two ingredients that were not accepted in the offering. Leaven and honey. Leaven is always a picture of sin. You put a little leaven in the, in the dough, right, when you're baking bread, and you put a towel over it or whatever, and you walk away, and you come back however much longer it takes, and boom, that thing's blown up because it permeates and decays and breaks down. That's what leaven does. Honey breaks down with heat, and, and it's, it, you know, it's sweet at first, but it breaks down. It's a picture of sin. And guys, once again, the reason there's no leaven, the reason there's no honey, because those things speak of sin, and Christ was perfectly sinless. Amen? Now, when I think about the grain offering, the meal offering, I couldn't help but think of Jesus as the bread of life. But it made me think, and we'll close with this, of John chapter 12. In John chapter 12, this is right before Jesus goes to the cross. And they're in Jerusalem. These Greeks who were clearly God worshipers and had heard about Jesus, they come up to Philip. And they said, sir, we would see Jesus. We want to see Jesus. Do you guys remember that? And then Philip goes to Jesus and says, hey, there's these guys. They want an audience with you. They just want to see you. They want to talk to you. Here's what Jesus' response was. It's, always, it's kind of fascinating. And Jesus answered them, the hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. Truly, truly, I say to you, unless a grain of wheat falls into the earth and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it bears much fruit. Whoever loses his life and, um, and whoever hates his life in this world will keep it to eternal life. If anyone serves me, he must follow me where I am. Um, there will my servants be also. If anyone serves me, the Father will honor him. If I was Philip, I'd be like, so is that a yes or no? I'm going to go meet him or not? 
It's like he leaves them hanging. It's like, what does that mean? It's like this cryptic answer. But Jesus was in essence saying, look, I, I may not be able to get them right now, but here's what's going to happen right now. I, I am like that grain of wheat. I'm falling to the ground in a sense, and I'm dying so that I can bring life and that the, they can follow me and be with me forever in essence, is what he's saying. Like, I don't know if I can have the audience with them right now, but I'm going to the cross right now so I can save them and be with them and and they can be with me forever. And then he kind of says, he doesn't kind of say, he turns to them and says, and if you're going to follow me, basically you got to do the same thing. Lay your life down and die so that there can be life coming through you. And I just love this. When I think about Jesus, excuse me, when I think about the grain offering, I think about Christ the bread of life, and that kernel of grain, if you would, that fell to the ground to die. Why? So we could have life in him. Amen? Amen. Guys, every part of the law, everything that we're going through here, it's always going to point us back to Jesus, how he's the fulfillment. It's all about him. The, The burnt offering, all about him. The grain offering, all about him. Guess what? The peace offering will be all about Jesus. The sin offering, the guilt offering, and we're going to cover those next week. Let's stand together, and we'll pray our way out. Father, I want to thank you for your word. It's so humbling to think, Lord, that the offering that was accepted on the cross, or excuse me, the altar, decided whether the worshiper would be accepted or forgiven or brought into fellowship. And I thank you, Lord, that it has little or nothing to do with the worshiper, us. It has everything to do with the sacrifice. We are imperfect and we're messed up. We fail all the time. But thank you, Jesus, that you were perfect and you were spotless. And you're the one that was accepted. And we don't come based on how we performed. We come totally because of what you are and who you are and what you did for us. And I pray, God, that we would embrace this. We'd understand it's all about you on the cross. It's all about you being the perfect sacrifice. It's all about you. And that we come because of who you are and what you've done. Lord, free us from trying to do works or earn any kind of blessing or favor outside of just believing in you. Lord, as we study this law, help us to do the math and realize it's been fulfilled by you and that we're free. We love you. We praise you. Bless my brothers and sisters. Reward them for coming out to listen to an hour of Leviticus. (laughs) In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. It's all about Jesus, guys. Hey, give somebody a high-five hug or handshake, and you're dismissed.